Amen. Well, God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I want to welcome everyone. Glad you're here. Wasn't that a wonderful time of worship this morning? Has your faith been stirred? I pray it has. As we continue on in our series this, this morning on Fight for Faith. Well, I got to tell you, it's been great just getting in the rhythm and getting in the routine of adding another Cusick to the family. Baby Eleanor has been such a blessing. Ten days old today, believe it or not. So time's already been flying by, but we're catching the hang of it as quick as we can. Uh, but we love her, and we're so excited uh, just to get to know her, see her little personality, and just see all that uh, God's going to begin to do in her life as uh, we raise her. And so this morning, I'm excited uh, to really preach a message that has been on my heart uh, to share with you, and as uh, we're moving on this series, and as you see, the, the title of the message is The Waters of Compromise, and as I was, as I was studying and, and looking into to really the book of Jude, and we're going to bring out really where we see this placed in the book of Jude, but I want to open up with a story this morning that really shares of, of a parallel of something that happened in the physical but speaks so much of what happens in the spiritual as well. So I want to read this story to you this morning on the waters of compromise. The story goes like this. In 1763, on the Mississippi River, there was a town that was founded and established by French settlers. They called it the Little Gulf. And the reason they called it the Little Gulf, G-U-L-F, is because it was the little sister of the big golf city, which was known as New Orleans. And this little golf town, it became very prosperous and it became a very prominent city. It's 32 miles northeast of Natchez, Mississippi, on the Mississippi River. And sometimes later, a few years later, a man by the name of Thomas Calvin bought this city and he had a dear friend and a mentor in his life that had really impacted him and he wanted to honor him, so he renamed the city after him. Now, I guess when you buy a city, you have that right. You can pretty much do and name what you want to do. And so he named this city from Little Gulf to Rodney, Mississippi, because the man's name, again, had been uh, a mentor and, a, and had made an impact on his life. And so this town became a very prosperous city in America. As a matter of fact, as I was studying out this story and it said in the mid-1800s, it had discovered the industry of cotton, which was responsible for bringing much of the agricultural prosperity to the South. And so much that Rodney became one of the busiest ports in America at that time. For example, by the late 1700s, they had factories, they had schools, hotels, restaurants, beautiful homes, and thousands of people began moving into the city because of the prosperity that was there. Uh, it's a, a neat fact about Rodney, Mississippi as well, is that it only missed the vote by three votes to actually become the capital of the city. And so by the early uh, 1900s, uh, something began to take place and something began to happen. And this is really where the story caught my attention, that this place, this great city of prosperity, this great city of influence, of prominence, of, of the business and, and, and everything that was taking place there. Something happened that no one could 
foresee. It said that little by little, little, suddenly, the course of the Mississippi River began to change. And it began going uh, in a different direction. And by the 1900s, it was over three miles off of the river. It was built, again, the city was on the commerce and was on the prosperity of the boats coming in, all of the products and all the activity. That's why this, this city of Rodney, Mississippi was built here. But when the river went the opposite direction and there was this three-mile distance, then suddenly, you can imagine, no longer was there access to the river and the commerce and all of the wealth that it provided began to dry up. The town slowly began to wither and die. And if you actually Google it today, it'll talk about that it was one of the most prominent cities in America. And now it would be known as what we've heard as a ghost town. If you look into the city today as it being a ghost town, you would see that there's only one road in, a one-lane road in, and a one-lane road out. All of the prosperity completely gone. All that's really left is a decayed Presbyterian church that's actually caving in on of itself. That's one of the buildings that's really noticeable that's left in the city. There's no business, there's no activity, there's no solid structures, there's only crumbling echoes of what used to be that's left in this city. It's, all, it's simply a hollow shell of a town. There's no inhabitants, there's no people, there's no families and there's no children, no prosperity, no booming business, no hustling and bustling on the streets. And really what, as I was reading the story and, and came across this story, here's the, really what I want you to hear is this parallel, is it's a silent testimony that really screams a powerful message to us this morning. And here's what I want you to hear. No matter how many great things you have going for us, no matter how many great things we have going for us as a church, if the river leaves us, we die. If the river leaves us, we die. And so we see in this city great prosperity, a city that was a blessing, a city that created jobs, that uh, created agriculture and food, all the things that you can imagine of what you would want in a city. When the river began to change course, it dried up, the town became a ghost town, and everything there, over time, slowly but surely began to dry up and begin to die. Look at what scripture says this morning in John seven thirty seven. Jesus says this in the last days of, of the great feast. He said, he stood up and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And when you look at the scripture, you see that how Jesus made, wanted to make a scene here to stand up and cry out, saying that, that this is really the beckoning of the promise of the Holy Spirit, that we have to come to him. Jesus is saying, come to me, drink of me. I have the rivers of living water that you need in these last days. A quick reminder, and to refresh you this morning, aren't you thankful that the Holy Spirit is the life-giving river that we have promised in our life? The presence of Jesus is a river of living water. And just like the little town in Mississippi, when it lost the river, when the river went a different course, when it dried up, it withered up, it lost its prosperity, it lost its life, and people began to leave in groves and abandon everything, Here's the, hear this, the same is true in our life. There's no difference between us and that little city. If we allow the river of the Holy Spirit to dry up in our life, you will begin to find yourself become this hollow shell of a person because there's not this fulfillment, there's not this power, there's not the life-giving charisms of the Holy Spirit moving and this flow of his presence in your life. 
If we don't have this flow, if we don't have the river that gives life, if the Spirit is not leading us, if the Spirit is not directing us, if we're not in the current of the Spirit that brings all of the blessings of God, all of the successes of God, the victories of God, the disciplines of God, if we're not in this river, we're going to completely miss it. We're going to miss what God wants to do. And I really just want to pause as we see the trajectory of our church, we see the, traje the trajectory of our school, and I pray as you look at your life that we never be a church or that we never be a people that allows the river of the Holy Spirit to dry up in our lives. And that's where the title of this message comes this morning, The Waters of Compromise. And I honestly believe as I was just praying over this message and praying over this service that one of the biggest things that will dry up the river without us ever noticing it is when the enemy begins to put us in a place of compromise. Compromise the enemy wants to get you in the waters of compromise to dry up the river of the Holy Spirit in your life. Sarah, if you would put up this point, the big idea that came to me this morning in the waters of compromise is this, is compromise really is planned failure. When the enemy gets you in compromise or when you decide to make a decision to step into compromise, really what you're setting yourself up for is planned failure. Now, there have been times in my life I've, I've fallen into compromise. There have been times I've been in the middle of compromise, and it hits you saying, wake up, Garrett. What are you doing? You're compromising your character. You're compromising your integrity. You're compromising what God is wanting to do in your life. When you think about it, when you stand in a river, what happens? If you're in, in, a, in a river that has a powerful current, it it leads you itself. You just have to ride with the current. See, many times when we begin to step in compromise, when we have the Holy Spirit in us, when we're filled with the presence of God, is the beauty of being in the river is that there's a current that's taking us, the Holy Spirit leading us, directing us, guiding us, pushing us, taking us with the current. But see, what happens when we decide to step into compromise, again, here's the hope, but here's the truth too, is when you're in the waters of compromise, the, the Spirit of God is still coming and going. So that's where you really feel that conviction when you begin to step because you feel the current now coming against you and you're really walking out of, out of the place that God wants and what he has for you. And so my prayer this morning as we dive into this message is that if you've lost your convictions, if you find yourself this morning in a place of compromise, maybe you're compromising in relationships, Maybe you're compromising in finances. Maybe you're compromising in places of your faith. Maybe you're, you're, you're in a place of depression or you're checking out of church. You're checking out of the things of God. Whatever there be compromise, I pray this morning that the renewal, that the power, that the river of the Holy Spirit would begin to wash that away and would begin to hit you and wash it out and get you back into the place that God has you and wants you. And so when you think about that constraining, see, the, the, an attribute of the Holy Spirit when it comes to that constraining, we don't really like to talk about that a lot. Who in the world likes to be constrained, honestly? Our flesh constantly wants to buck constraints. I've seen that with our 14-month-old son constantly wanting to buck any constraints. He's at that place in his life that we put around him and on him. But constraints can, if you look at the definition, can mean this as well. It means to prevent, to stop, to keep, to hold back. Now think about the Holy Spirit. This is what he wants to do. 
He wants to hinder compromise. He wants to hamper the compromise. He wants to restrict it, to constrain it, to obstruct it, to prohibit it, to ban it, to disallow it. You see, when we're allowing the river to flow through us and not to turn against the current, allowing the Holy Spirit to constrain us, because when you're in the river, there's only so much you can do. You have to go with the, the, the current, and, and that river is going to constrain you as you go with that current. I'm telling you, this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And if you really want to see the, the proof or the fruit of your salvation or the proof that, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit's with me, go when you go to step out and sin or you're, you're faced with a choice of either compromise or the purpose of God, when you start to step toward the compromise, when you feel that constraint or you feel that conviction, that's a good sign that the Holy Spirit's moving and working in your life because there's that constraining because he loves you and he wants to keep the flow of, his, of the river in your life. And here's the amazing thing too that I've come to find when we're in seasons of compromise, if you don't allow his, his still small voice to be numb, that even when you get out of the river, when you turn toward the river, he's still so good and he's still such a good father that he's constantly saying, get back in the flow of the river, get out of that compromise, get your convictions back and get back in the river. He's always prodding us and prompting us. You know, the, if you've ever been to a funeral, many times you'll hear the pastor say the real person isn't here right now, right? Their, their fleshly body, but their spirit has left. Their spirit has either been, has gone to be with Jesus or their spirit has gone to be in hell is what the Bible teaches. And so we see that term came to mind of the real you, that when we think of who we are as spiritual beings, that what we see in each other, our fleshly bodies are not the real us, but the real us are our spirits. Our spirits live on. And so when you see, and we're gonna look in Romans chapter 12, we see of the encouragement Paul is trying to say is don't go toward the things of the flesh, the things of compromise, but be in tune with who you are as a saint. Be in tune with what the spirit of God, the river, the flow of the Holy Spirit, that is the real you. Look at Romans chapter eight, for it's, it says this, talking of the spirit versus the flesh. It says, for those that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And here's a word that I want you to catch. It says, and this is the amplified, it says, we are not obligated to our carnal nature is what it's saying here. To live a life ruled by the standards set up by what that which dictates that of the flesh. The New King James Version says those that go after the flesh. So it's saying that there's this, there's this presence, there's this movement to go after the things of the flesh. Verse 13 says, so we're not to go after the things of the flesh, but it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will surely die. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually putting to death. So instead of going after the things of the flesh, what begins to happen is we're in the river of the Holy Spirit, we're keeping compromise, we're having our convictions. It's saying we're putting to death, making extinct, deadening the evil deeds prompted by the body. Aren't you thankful that we have this power in the Holy Spirit? And we don't have to live a life of compromise. It goes on to say, for you shall really and genuinely. So if you want to live a genuine, if you want to be the real you, if you want to be made in the image and likeness of Christ, if you're going to live this real life full of the Holy Spirit, 
then it's putting to death the works of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it's putting off the things of the flesh. But we just don't put off the things of the flesh, right? Then when we step over here, now we have to put on the things of the Spirit. Verse 14 says this. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I love this verse right here because it says when you're in that river, when you're in that flow, when you're keeping the waters of compromise out of your life, what this scripture is telling us that when you're being led by the Spirit, that is what makes you a son and and a daughter of God. That's the importance of having the river flowing in your life because this is what puts his identity and puts who he is in your life. I think of Moses. Moses was so spiritually governed that we see in scripture, he says he wants his words, he wants his attitudes, he wants his actions to be after the Lord. Exodus 33 verse 15 says this, this is a powerful prayer of Moses. He says, if your presence doesn't go with me, I will not go up. Honestly, this needs to be our prayer, that if his presence isn't guiding, if his presence is not in the mix, if his presence isn't first and foremost, I'm not gonna step out, I'm not gonna go, because if his presence isn't with me, that's not the direction I'm going to go. And so this morning, again, to get out of the waters of compromise, you have to make that decision that the flesh is gonna become the follower and the spirit's gonna become the leader. That's the place that we're to constantly walk in. And if we're gonna fight for faith this morning, we have to understand the battle between the spirit and the battle between the flesh. It really never leaves and it never ends. We're constantly putting off the things of the flesh and putting on the things of the spirit. And you, by being faithful to the house of God, getting in your word, praying, fasting, that is how we put on the things of the spirit. I love what Galatians 3.3 says. It says, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? See, there's this temptation when, if you've grown up in church, if you've been around the things of God, where you've encountered his presence, when the things of God were new, when the things of God were fresh, but then when you have to be consistent and push past how you feel, I don't, maybe you don't feel like going to church or feel like reading your Bible, there comes this place of, I'm now going to be disciplined in the things of God. I'm not gonna be emotion-based, feelings-based. And so it's saying, and this is really a word that we always have to keep first and foremost, and this is really a prayer of mine, don't let me start something in the spirit and be excited and rambunctious and full of energy and passion, but then find out now that the blessing of God is in a certain area, I can kind of sustain it and control it myself. You know, I think about how this church was started. This church was started in in your home and in a place of people wanting and encountering the presence of God. There wasn't a church building, there wasn't comfortable chairs, there wasn't children's ministries, it was people that were hungry to run after the anointing and after the presence of God. And so when I think about what, see this church and this ministry, this school was started in the things of the spirit. And my prayer is, is that it would constantly continue in the things of the Holy Spirit, that the river never dry up, that we keep the flow of his presence in everything that we do. But see, it, 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 the work that we have to do as believers is through partnering and in agreement with the Holy Spirit, it's putting off the works of the flesh and putting on the works of the Spirit. And so you really have to ask the question, going back to our story of, of Rodney, Mississippi, is how, 
over time did the course, the direction of this river begin to shift and begin to change direction where it came to a place of three miles off course that would cause the city to become a ghost town. Well, after the fact, engineers and, and different ones went in to really test the soil and, and, and look closely to try to figure out how did and why did this happen. The conclusions they came to was that there was silt, there was debris, there was things that because there was no maintenance, because there was no digging up of, of the, the parts of this river in the town that would dam it up, because there was never that maintenance, over time, slowly but surely, the, de- the debris and the silt dammed up the river. And see what happens uh, when I was looking into this, if you're not doing the maintenance of getting the silt, of, of getting the debris out of the way, is what happens, that river is gonna find another path. There's only so long it will, it will stay there until it overflows and creates another path. See, I never wanna be in this place, and this is where we started out in this series in the book of Jude, that the, what Jude is confronting is that they said, oh, we can take the mercy of God as a license to sin and opt out for the mercy of God in the end. And he was, that's what he was confronting. And see, we never wanna be believers that we get just comfortable, we've tasted of the presence of God, we think we're all good, so then we don't have to keep the debris and the silt out of our life anymore. See, when you come into the house of God, when you get before God in prayer, when you bow in repentance, when his kindness leads you to that place, is you're saying, Holy Spirit, get the debris out, get the silt out, get the unforgiveness, get the bitterness, get, get the uncleanliness of my eyes, get the uncleanliness of what I put in my ears, get, get the, the words out of my mouth that aren't pleasing and uplifting. And so when you begin to get down in the presence of God, that's where that maintenance comes to keep that flow of the Holy Spirit not to allow it, your life to be damned up by unforgiveness, by bitterness, by the silt, and by the debris that the enemy wants to put okay. in your life. What's wild, too, is when they went back, they saw that there was still water in this town. It wasn't that this town didn't have water anymore. What set it apart is that there wasn't that river, there wasn't that flow. So if you were to put a blade of grass or whatever on it, you would see that it was stagnant. See, many Christians, without us even realizing it, when we've allowed compromise to come in our life, there's still the appearance of water. There's still the appearance of God. Even we can be fooled and deceived. But when you put the grass on the water, you'll see that it's not moving, but it's stagnant. And so I pray that we not be deceived that our water is stagnant, that our lives would have a flow to it, that when the Holy Spirit's in us, it's life-giving. We're being led, we're being directed by who he is. There's this video I want you to watch. I came across it, and it's several minutes, but the, the points that are made here, and really just his story, uh, the founder of Charity Water, you may have heard it. It's a, a great ministry and organization that provides water uh, to, to all over the world and, and brings clean water. And Scott Harrison, the founder is his name, but what really jumped off the story that I want you to catch is how he confronted his compromise. And because he confronted his compromise, he saw God begin to do an amazing work in his life. And really what I want you to catch this morning of on the other side of you confronting your compromise, what is God wanting to release? What is he wanting to do? What is he wanting to put in your life? So Sarah, if you uh, put this video up, it's about six minutes, but I want us to watch a little bit of a story 
and be inspired this morning. Water. It's in our history, in our mourning, and even in our dreams. It's in the sky and the earth and in us. Both angry and playful. And always there, like a spring just beneath our feet. Plants, animals, and people gathered around it like their lives depended on it. Because they did. They still do. As you watch this, there's the same amount of water on Earth as there was when it was formed. It stays the same, and yet it is always changing. Solid. Liquid. Gas. And just like water, our lives can change forms too. And we can become something else entirely. My name is Scott Harrison. <laughs> Just listen. This is my wife, my son, and my one on the way. I lead an organization called Charity Water, and our mission is to bring clean water to everyone on the planet. I live in New York City now, but I didn't always. I grew up in suburbia, and this was my house. My dad was a businessman, and my mom was a writer. They loved each other, and they loved me. We were a happy family, until we weren't. When I was four years old, my mom collapsed on the bedroom floor. We'd just moved into a new house, and our house had a carbon monoxide gas leak, but none of us knew it until then. She didn't die that day, but her immune system did. She became allergic to everything. Perfume, the ink from books, radio waves. She wore strange masks all the time and was often connected to oxygen. The toxic gas destroyed her immune system and in a way, my childhood too. After the poisoning, our roles reversed and I began to take care of her. As the only child, I had to be a good one. I learned to cook, do laundry and take care of the house. I was a good Christian kid who played piano in church and wanted to be a doctor when I grew up to help sick people like her. Until I turned 18. Music was my escape, so I joined a band and moved to New York. Um, right about the time when the band broke up, I got involved in um, producing these like live music shows in the city. I realized that you could actually get paid in New York City to drink alcohol for free. This job was called a nightclub promoter. So you just had to get beautiful people in the clubs. And if you got the right people in the clubs, you could charge guys $500 to buy a bottle of champagne that cost you 40 I moved from club to club to club, filling up the VIP section and flashing my Rolex to the club photographers. For almost 10 years after that, I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day and was out drunk almost every night. I was into strip clubs, gambling, 
and just about every drug except heroin. On New Year's Eve, uh, we all went to Punta del Este. Uh, it's a kind of party town in Uruguay. We rented this incredible house with cooks, waiters, and magnums of expensive champagne. Although it looked glamorous on the outside, there was a long decline in happiness. And I remember just feeling so unhealthy about it all. The next day, the party was still going, but I wanted the music to stop. I was spiritually bankrupt. I was emotionally bankrupt. I was certainly morally bankrupt. I tried to find my way back to a very lost faith. I wanted things to be different. I left nightlife, sold almost everything I owned, and decided to take one year off to try serving others instead of myself. I'm applying, I'm filling out these long applications for these very credible humanitarian organizations that have long histories. I put in the applications, and then I wait. And I guess I should not have been surprised, but I am denied by all of these organizations. They won't even let me volunteer because of my past. So they're like, what do you do again? <laughs> We're serious people. Thankfully, one organization says, if you pay us $500 a month, you can volunteer with us. So I said, here are my credit card details. Where are you guys going? They were an amazing team of doctors and surgeons who traveled the world on a hospital ship. They specialized in removing facial tumors, and they were going to Liberia, one of the poorest countries in the world, and a country I'd never even heard of. I say, I'm gonna sign up and be your volunteer photojournalist. I'd always taken pretty good pictures and photos and loved telling stories. Everything in my life changed. I decided in one fell swoop to kind of never smoke again, to never touch drugs again, you know, to never gamble again, to, you know, to swear off pornography and strip clubs, and just, I needed to walk so far in the other direction. And I walked up this gangway, and this became my new home. Nothing could have prepared me for what I was about to see. Hi, my name is Scott. I think we may be able to help you. I met a man named Harris. He was suffocating to death with a benign tumor. I got to see Harris's transformation because of an amazing surgeon named Dr. Gary Parker. So we, we've got to get your blood nice and strong for an operation, huh? Dr. Gary had moved his entire family on the ship to volunteer for a short time. That was 29 years ago. He'd just never left. I'd never met anyone with that kind of dedication before. Very happy we can uh, schedule and you'll spend Christmas here. First, uh, first good Christmas in 13 years. <laughs> a couple weeks later, I got to take Harris back home to his village with an entirely new face, ready to start a new life. The uniform that's put on people when you have these terrible deformities is you're rubbish, you're worthless, you're spiritually cursed, you're... And when you can change the uniform, it's huge. And the person starts to imagine that they might not be rubbish after all. No one in our world is rubbish. There was one day when more than 5,000 sick people came to see our doctors. Some of them had walked for more than a month. But there were too many of them, and we just didn't have enough doctors. I remember holding my camera, crying. 
we had to turn thousands away. We were changing individual lives every day, but I wanted to do even more. I'm documenting these life-changing surgeries, but I started to spend more and more time out in the rural villages. And as I would travel around these villages, I would see the most shocking things. About 475 people living here. And this is what they're drinking. You can see there's bugs crawling around in it. I'm sort of putting this together, saying, look, thousands of people are turning up sick, and the most basic need for health isn't even met. It wasn't okay. Kids shouldn't be drinking from scummy swamps or ponds or rivers. He came here to fetch water yeah. and a crocodile fell into the river and a crocodile snatched him. It disappeared everywhere. Not, not even our body was not even found. There were so many diseases caused by bad water. Cholera, dysentery, trachoma, bilharzia, things I'd never even heard of. On top of that, I found out people weren't just drinking this filthy water. They were breaking their backs to get it. Women and girls. So for lack of time, we'll stop it there. It's a 20-minute documentary, but I would encourage you to go on and finish the story as he goes into all the amazing things, the doors God began to open uh, for them to really bring water. I have the statistics here. Um, let's see. It says, here this uh, to date. It says, Harrison founded the nonprofit Charity Water, which since 2006 has given 8 million people around the world access to clean water by funding nearly 30,000 water projects. Isn't that amazing? In 26 countries across the world, over 1 million people have donated more than $300 million to this cause. And so when you look a little deeper into his story, you saw that there was a moment you heard it a little bit there where he, he found out he was emotionally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, morally bankrupt, that he was ready to get out of the place of compromise in his life. And that's really what I wanted you to catch out of that, out of the story. And I want you to see this point here. And, it, and this, I felt like the spirit of God just dropped this in, in my heart. And it says this, it says, the biggest conflict to your calling is compromise. That's what God just began to deal with me about says, if you want to step into the fullness of what I have for you, shore yourself up, look inwardly, look at your life, evaluate, and ask the Holy Spirit, where's there any compromise? Because compromise is conflict to our callings. And as believers, again, having to face and fight compromise never really ends. We're constantly, again, having to put off the things of the flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit and then putting on the things of the Spirit, putting on love when we don't feel like loving, putting on peace, joy, patience, kindness, putting on gentleness, self-control, that these are the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life when we begin to put them on. Through his story too, I was inspired and I began to think of how many times we focus on 
location all the time in our life, that I just want to get to this spot in my life. I want to get to this location. If I just get there, if, if this, this season ends and, and I get there, then things are going to make more sense or things are going to be better. And really, what the Holy Spirit, what Jesus is interested in is not so much location all the time, but direction. That he wants to get us in the right direction. And if we allow him to get, if we allow him to put us in the river, to get in the current of the Holy Spirit, then we're going to know we're going to be in the right direction. And here's the amazing thing, that if we know we're in the right direction, the location is going to take care of itself. Because when you're in the right direction, you know you're going to make it to where God has designed you and wants you to be. And so this morning, this could be a moment as we just ask the Holy Spirit to come. As we ask him, uh, what the picture I had in my mind is, is we were seeing you make me brave. This cascading of a waterfall coming over us and just getting the debris out, getting the silt out, getting the things, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the, the compromise in our life, getting it out, allowing that gully washer to hit it, to bust it up, getting the things of the flesh out so that we can allow the works of the Holy Spirit to have its way in our life. I wanna take you to the book of Jude and then I want us to pray together this morning. And again, we've read this in part one of our series but this is where Jude ends his letter and he says, this is the call to remain faithful. This is the battle cry to remain faithful. Here's what it says. It says, but you, my delightful loved friends, and this is the Passion Translation. You're gonna see a different translation there. I'll read it from here. It says this. It says, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last day. A time would come when people would walk, what? According to their own godly lust. A time would come when there would be this motivation to walk in the things of the flesh, not the things of the spirit. It says in verse 19, these are sensual persons who cause divisions. Verse 20, not having the spirit, but you beloved, building yourselves up and that's what we've been doing to fight for faith in this series. We want to build ourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, those that are struggling, we want to have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. See, in the waters of compromise, what Jude is saying, you have to hate the garment of the flesh. Don't put it on. It's the ugliest wardrobe in your closet. Don't put it on. Hate it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the things he's listing there, walk in love, all the things. And then he says, this is how it's going to happen. Now to him who is able. Everybody say, he's able. He's the one who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I'm telling you, compromise has a way of robbing your peace. Compromise has a way of robbing joy in your life. But this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit has targeted some compromise in your life. And if you would allow just the river, that waterfall to cascade over you this morning and allow your spirit to be renewed, to put off the works of the flesh and say, this morning when I walk out of here, he's the one who is able for me to put, to go after the things of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to stand to your feet this morning.
I want to pray for you. And then I want to take a moment and I want us to worship. And as we're worshiping, I want you just to, to picture and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, get the compromise out of my life. Get, get the convictions back in my life. I want to sure myself up because I don't want to be deceived in the last days. If you bow your head, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence. Father, right now, we want the cascading of the Holy Spirit. We want the waterfall of the Spirit of God to wash over us, to break up the debris, to get the silt, to get the works of the flesh out of our life. God, right now, we want to guard our hearts. We want to guard our eyes from compromise, guard our ears from compromise. We ask you, Holy Spirit, right now, that as we worship, as we declare your mercy triumphs over judgment, that this is the hour of mercy for us to respond to your grace. God, we ask that you would bust up any compromise in our life and that you would show us, you would lead us to the place of your Holy Spirit because we believe on the other side of us confronting our compromise that we're gonna see you begin to release things into our lives, release things into our church, release things into our hands because we wanna walk in holiness. You are the Holy Spirit as we worship you. Allow this work to take place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.